Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. Over the last couple of weeks, we have begun our conversation in the book of Ephesians because we believe that the church actually matters, that despite our um, practice self-sabotage over the last couple of years, in which we have in many ways, and by we, I don't mean just the garden, but perhaps the garden included in the universal church, gotten in our own way and undermined um, what God wants to do in us and through us. Uh, And um, I'm grateful for the opportunity in the book of Ephesians just to say, call us back home almost to the what we're what we're about and this passage of scripture particularly focuses on that you'll notice in the first two verses Darren's already uh, uh, packed unpacked this over the last couple of weeks that that we are God's holy people that means we're not supposed to be like everybody else we're not supposed to be like the surrounding culture otherwise we're not helpful uh, we are called to faithfulness we are having having um, this this outrageous, unlimited resource in the grace and peace of God to fuel 
the life change that he speaks now in these, um, in these uh, verses. So he begins, verse 3, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you'll notice, please, here that worship precedes understanding. Worship doesn't just flow. It, I mean, I think I want to have an informed worship. Yeah, I want to know something about God and let that fuel my worship. But let's be clear. If I'm going to let my understanding control my worship, my worship will be truncated. It will be limited. So worship has to lead understanding. Worship is a way maker. And especially when we are in this passage, invited into the mysteries of God. You'll get that language a little bit later on. When we're invited into the mysteries of God, there's no way we have capacity to understand that, let alone even fully apprehend its implications for us. So we, we can't make understanding prelude. Worship has to be prelude. Worship has to be the place of beginning, and because out of that, he, we, we, we just, because there's only one response, right, to what it says next. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What else is there to do but praise God? What else is there to do but lift our hearts and our hands and our voices in celebration? Um, and, and then he's invited us, it says here, uh, in him, to be holy, to be blameless in his sight. Why? Because this is not the only orientation. Our praise is not the only orientation. This has to be the orientation. An open-heartedness, an open-handedness to the world to whom we are sent and whom the Father loves. So this is, is a, an invitation to step into the flow Step into the stream of what God is doing. Does, does that make sense? And so holiness is, is, is usefulness. It's not specialness. It's not oddness. It's not weirdness, although it might be sometimes from the outside viewed that way. We need to understand that holiness is usefulness. And then he says this, um, that he uh, op- chose us in him before the creation of the world. So whatever else we talk about as the gospel, it's not a reaction to what we did to to need it. God had a rescue plan, if you will, in place before the accident occurred. Before we chose to self-sabotage, God, knowing all things, put in place a way to accomplish his divine purposes despite our having screwed it up from the get-go. It is astounding to me. This isn't fail-safe. This isn't plan B. This is what Paul says he had in mind before the creation, before anything was even spoken into being, before we even had a chance to screw it up. He had in place a mechanism to redeem and restore it before it even had happened so that, and let's be clear, his original purpose the one that existed prior to our choosing to go awry, that original purpose will be fulfilled. There is not a word void that God has spoken. It will be fulfilled. And now the challenge is he has to fulfill it when we chose knowledge that we weren't built for. We have to learn how to be the image of God with the existential knowledge of good and evil 
that we weren't built for. That's why it's taken so long, brothers and sisters, because that, that's not easy to, to pull off. Uh, be, and, and, the, and the way to accomplish that is counterintuitive. Uh, so he invites us into this mystery, uh, and, and, and which his favor has lavished on us, and this is just the beginning. And here's the core passage. We're going to be talking about the uh, adoption of sonship a little bit more uh, next week. Darren's going to uh, uh, fill in the gaps on that. But notice here, it begins, after that adoption, it begins uh, with the redemption through his blood, with the forgiveness of our sins. So please notice, not when we ask, we step in to redemption. We step in to forgiveness. It's already the stream of forgiveness, the stream of redemption is already flowing. When we jump in, it's not like something is actualized. It's that we participate in what has been actualized. God doesn't forgive you when you ask. God has forgiven you. Your asking is acknowledging the need. Do you, do, you, do you see the difference? That's why repentance flows from, not earns forgiveness. We, life change comes out of the reorientation that occurs when we accept responsibility for what we have done and step into the reality of, of that, that forgiveness as the expression, I love this, of the Father's good pleasure. God doesn't forgive stingily. stingily. He doesn't have to be talked into being good. He doesn't have to be manipulated through outrageous promises that, fingers crossed, we have no way of fulfilling anyway. God is good. And as a result of that, we step into his goodness. His forgiveness is freely given. And it, uh, we, we just need to own that personally. But we need to recognize that while sometimes we want to get off the bus at that point, thank you so much, I'm good to go. We need to recognize that that is just the beginning of what God is doing in the world. Your personal salvation, as important as that is to you and your family, is just the beginning. It's not the end of the game. It's not even really much more than past the opening whistle. We start off with forgiveness. We start off with the reorientation so that we can start to now participate in what God is up to in the beginning, which is where verse 8 kicks in. All wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. It's no longer a mystery. What God has been up to since before the beginning of time, what God has actualized in us, where your life is heading, what God's will is for your life is no longer mystery. Nor for the world. We do not need to worry for that long where this is all going. As we see the war clouds build in Ukraine and Russia, as we feel the tensions continuing to be exacerbated in our country over the vaccines and mandates and all kinds of political unrest and all of those kinds of things, there might be a moment, there might have been a moment over this last couple of years when you might have gotten a little bit of anxious or about a little bit nervous as to where, where this might all be going. But Paul says, no, if you stop for a moment, if you back up for just a moment, it has been clear since the beginning of time where God is going. It's no longer a mystery. We now have an awareness that your personal 
salvation is actually headed somewhere and it's not heaven. You're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming here. That's why we pray in Long Beach as it is in heaven. That's why book of Revelation, we talked about this earlier a couple of years ago. The, the, the final heavenly vision is of this great and grand city descending and reclaiming, if you will, God's authority over this planet. So let us be clear. Now, there might be some shaking in the meantime, but let's be very clear where this is going to end up and why, therefore, we ought not be anxious like everybody else is anxious. Do you see why holiness is so important? If we imbibe the same Kool-Aid that everybody else is imbibing, we will vibrate at the same frequency that everybody else is vibrating at. But if we will remember what we're here for and where this is all going and what God is up to and the ways in which God is up to that, we don't need to lose a moment's sleep at the condition of the world. God is using all and everything and will reconcile it in good. Notice what he says. All wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here it is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You want to know where everything's going? Right there. God is at work in all things to bring unity, to pull things back together again that have started to fly off and fall off the edges, to, to invite all things that have become uh, 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 in fear and isolation and distance and othering, not just people, but planets. He's invited us to become part of a reconciliation mission. The goal of which is the uniting of all of things in the heavens and on the earth. Everything that is currently now fragmented and disintegrating will be brought back together in and through the work of Christ. Now, how does this work? Well, it started to disintegrate, to fall apart when we forgot who we were in Genesis chapter 3. We've talked about this numerous times, so let me just quickly snapshot it. Remember, we need to be dependent on God as signaled by our obedience in one command. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not speaking uh, literally of a tree someplace. It's speaking metaphorically of our uh, don't choose to engage in that which you're not built to engage in. You're not built for the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of good and evil. If you, if you choose to go that way, symbolized by the eating of that fruit, right, you'll die. And what does dying look like? Dying looks like separation from God, from each other, and really, ultimately, from ourselves. We start in Genesis 3. The world starts to vibrate. So much so that in chapter 4, remember the horrible question? Chapter 3, the worst question is, where are you? 
Chapter four is, am I my brother's keeper? Do you see the disintegration has begun, chapter three flowing out, and Paul is going to go on and say in Romans that the rest of the planet, because we are part of the center that holds everything together, remember, we're called to be the image of God, we're called to be in this intermediary role between God and the planet, and when we, when that center fails, guess what happens to the edges? doesn't matter how finely attuned the spokes are if the axle's off. It falls apart. It vibrates into ineffectiveness and usefulness. Anybody recognize that we're describing the reality of the world that we live in? And we have cobbled together all kinds of Rube Goldberg machines to keep us from the knowledge of the damage we have done. Oh, does anybody know what I mean when I talk about Rube Goldberg machines? Hello. I've realized that's a last century <laughs> illustration. But look it up. Google it. There you go. Um, but anyway, what, what's happening here is that the, the, the secret of the universe is very simple, that God is going to take all of those fragmented pieces and will draw them together. Now, here's, here's the trick. He's going to put us back together into a Genesis 1-2 reality. So notice why our personal salvation, our being reconciled to God is so important because it's the foundation by which we can then begin to be reconciled to one another. This is why God says numerous times through various of his teachers, look, you can't love God, John says, and not love your brothers and sisters. it, It doesn't work. This reorientation enables this. All of the boundary conversations from last week apply here. I get it. But can we stop using boundaries as an excuse to not engage? Boundaries help us in the engagement, not prevent us from engaging. Do you you catch? and, And the invitation here... The invitation is critical for us to lean in to what God is doing because the way, oh, by the way, when you're reconciled to God, you can start to be reconciled to one another, but you know where the most miraculous reconciliation occurs? You're reconciled to yourself. You finally stop, you finally stop Stop othering the parts of yourself that you have predetermined aren't valuable or worth anything. You finally start to look in the five-dimensional mirror of your soul and hear the love and acceptance and approval of the Father on the beauty, on the goodness that is looking back at you in all five dimensions. And you say yes and amen. Why? Because if you don't do that with you, how in God's name do you intend to do it with your enemy? Which, as you recall, is still part of the job description. You with me? You see, now, here's, here's the problem. I really wish God would do this with a big stick on other people. But how's he going to do it? He's going to do it the slow and deeply painful way of the in Christ life, which is love. 
It'd be much more efficient and effective. I've sent three or four memos already. If he would just whip some folks into shape. I've got a short list. Actually, it's not that short. I've sent it on. I'm waiting for a report back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And God refuses to use his creative power in any way other than with the gravitational pull, the magnetic attraction, the alignment that occurs around love. Because the deep truth is there is already an essential unity at the core of all creation. Do you remember how we got here? God said, let there be light. That word spoken became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. That word's glory, full of everything that makes God God, grace and truth. That word that brought creation into being resonates even now to the outer edges of the universe, expanding at a pace that keeps track with the universe, 186,282 miles per second. Love is expanding that fast. That word that still emanates, because once that word is spoken, no word returns void. No word returns empty. When God said, let there be, it is that word that brought it into being, that continues to sustain it. That word resonates in you as much as it does in the person sitting next to you. They are, they are as much a product of that word spoken as you are. So what does this mean? This is the strategy of the wonder of this invitation. It is this, this gravitational pull of that word spoken where I recognize in my brother, in my sister, in my friend, but also in my enemy, that there is a common word that has brought us into being and that if I will listen, listen deeply enough, I will hear in the resonance of your pain my own. If I can get over my God-awful insecurity and fear to risk listening rather than and the hope that you don't get through, I will hear at the depth of my being your heart cry and it will resonate with mine. Deep will call to deep in these moments. You see what he's doing? And by the way, it's not just people that bear that word's resonance. It is dolphins and whales and unfortunately mosquitoes and all kinds of other creatures because this reconciliation is not just about people. It's about the entire planet. It is a, that the, the rocks have a song to sing that went to, to, to emanate and they want to join you. But if you're not going to sing, the rocks are going to cry out whether you do or not. So the invitation, the invitation of this unity of all things is not just to people, but, but let's start there. Not just to myself. Let's start there. But it's also with the dirt. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you... Recall this, but from what are you made? Hmm. And 
from what is your neighbor made? Huh. And what fills your lungs? Genesis chapter 2 says it's the breath of God. What fills your neighbor's lungs? The same breath of God. So all God is doing in Christ Jesus is calling us all to... Now, he's not going to force anything because love never does that. He will let you stay dead as long as you want to stay dead. But the invitation is to life. The invitation is to love. The invitation is to press in to the reality that the world recognizes. The world, by that I mean the creation. Paul says in, in Romans chapter uh, 8 that the entire creation is tapping its foot, waiting for us to get our act together so it can be what it is created to be in the first place. It's in travail. A lot of the, I, I am convinced, a lot of the natural disasters, the global warming, all of the damage that has been done by, by the ways that we have mismanaged our Genesis 1 creativity to get ourselves out of our Genesis 3 default, all of our towers of Babel, the earth is waiting to clean house and inviting us Will you, will you just stop making a mess of things? We ought to be the leading voices in environmental care because that is the dirt from which we are made. Do you see what he's doing here? It's not just pray the prayer and go to heaven. It's receive the forgiveness that God has offered, then suit up for battle. There's work to be done, and how is the battle to be waged? In love. So if this is true, and it is, if this is what God is up to in the universe, and by the end of time we'll have accomplished it, don't you think it would be good for the church to get on track with this sooner rather than later? Do you understand how the divisions over who knows what silliness in those last two years, who sits in the White House, who doesn't sit in the White House, whether there should even be a White House. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, you with me? You see how silly it is for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, partners in the reconciliation of all things, to care about those things more than we care about the coming of the king and the kingdom? Didn't get too much of an amen on that one. <laughs> Fill in the blanks, brothers and sisters. I think you can make a long list of things that we have allowed to divide us over this last year and a half or two years. We have become experts in working against what God is trying to accomplish. Not a good place to be. You wonder why the shaking is taking place? He's shaking us up so that we let go of our artificial securities and lean into love, which is the only way forward. If my political stance means that I can't sit at table with you as brother or sister, my political stance has to go. Hmm? 
This is the strategy that Jesus invites us into. No wonder later on in this letter, Paul is just going to go off on malice and greed and and vindictive talk and backbiting and schismatic opinions. All of these things work, he says, to grieve the Holy Spirit of God who is seeking in the church to produce the unity that God is up to in the rest of the world. That's why it's critical. That's why it's critical. We need to learn how to fight well. Why? Because I need your differences. I need your differences of opinion. I need your differences of perspective. I need you to, because I can't, I can't see what's behind me. I need somebody else to help me know what a 360 view looks like. So this unity is not unanimity, God help us. It is diversity anchored to unity. This is where we start, but then we can prize the gifts that people whose perspectives are different than ours bring to the conversation. And why it's so critical then for us to learn how to fight fair, to learn how to hear one another, to learn how, 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 to, how to speak the truth, but in love. You see what he's doing here? This is all part of the strategy, part of the mystery. We want to be on the side of self-sacrificing, redeeming love because love will triumph. It will. It will. There are days, candidly, when I despair about the truth of that. I just wonder if love is enough. And then I see what it has done in my hard heart, and I realize Oh, yes, there is nothing else that could have accomplished that but the love of God. Nothing. I have no better strategy or plan because there is none. We lean in to the work. That's why we have to live, verse 11, in the knowing of the mystery. That's why holiness matters. That's why we are are his case study for the rest of the world, watching on. We who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's why we are part of having heard the message of the truth, having heard the gospel. We, we now receive the Holy Spirit in it, who actualizes this, who is a deposit, who is a down payment. I'm going to spend time on those verses uh, later on, but I wanted to make sure you got the end of the sentence. Obviously, the point that I wanted to lean into this morning was this invitation to unity. Are you in? Here's the deal. (laughs) God trusts love so much that even though this morning you might say, I'm not sure, he will keep pummeling you with love until you realize There is no hope in anything else. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, the implications of this are stunning for me. Personally, pastorally, as a member of this community, as a resident in this country, as a citizen of the world, as we watch ourselves day after day with the news feeds, story after story of disintegration proving over and over again that we still don't know the answer to the question of Genesis 3. We still don't know where we are. 
And we sitting in this room today, having heard this word, O Lord, have been given along with those who have heard it before, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions who have heard it before, we have been given access to this mystery. We now know where this is all going. And that means, Lord, you want us to be ambassadors of that reconciliation. Having been reconciled to you, having owned our complicity in our self-destruction, having received the forgiveness and now stepped into it with repentance, Lord, we now want to take next steps and be reconciled as much and as well as we can to our brothers and sisters. We want to have a posture of reconciliation. We want to have a posture, an openness, and become solid enough in the love of Christ for us that we can absorb the wounds of still frightened people. I pray, oh God, that you would help us in this. We need so much help. So much help. I pray that you would teach us your way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Well